0: Here on the Christine Upchurch Show, we explore ways to get into that vibration of change with experts in the fields of consciousness, psychology, spirituality, health, healing, and science. Are you ready to step into your vibration of change? Welcome, everybody. So grateful you're joining us here today. You might be listening live or watching live on 1150 AM KKNW. Uh, you might be listening live on TransformationTalkRadio.com, or perhaps on Facebook Live, or perhaps afterwards on one of the many podcasts. But wherever and whenever you're joining us from today, thank you for being here. I think you're going to be really grateful you've joined us here today. But before I introduce our guest, I'd like to say hello to the people behind technology, uh, Mr. Benny Mathers at KCANW. Hey, Benny. Hey, Christine. How are the kids doing? They are awesome. Uh, they actually have a dance-a-thon today, so we're getting uh, s- you know stretched out, I think, mm-hmm. later on. So we'll see how that goes cool. for fourth graders. They'll sleep, they'll, they'll sleep well tonight. I right. hope so.
1: I'd, I hope so.
0: And, Olivia, thank you for doing what you're doing at TTR. Okay, thank you. Thank you for being here. <laughs> and I'm I'm crossing my fingers. I'm having um, some catastrophic failure of my battery On my phone and so we will see how this goes today but hopefully the technology gods will be with us Um, i am so excited about our guest today you know i think oftentimes we think of ourselves as a product of our upbringing and for many people they never get beyond who they were as a child but for many of us who who strive to be conscious and grow we sometimes evolve beyond our upbringing (laughs) is it possible to grow up in in hatred and learn to let go of that hatred and learn to love our guest today is a prime example of that his name is frank mink he he became a skinhead at age 13. by 18 he was roaming the country as a skinhead leader and neo-nazi recruiter with gangs that would beat people indiscriminately. In Illinois, he had his own cable access TV show called The Reich. He was finally arrested and convicted of kidnapping and beating a member of a rival skinhead gang. While in prison, he befriended men he used to think of that he hated, men of different races. After being released from prison, Mink tried to rejoin his old skinhead, pals but couldn't bring himself to hate those whom he knew to be his friends. Now a noted speaker, author, and founder of Harmony Through Hockey. Frank's life stands for tolerance, diversity, and mutual understanding in racial, political, and all aspects of society. Frank is truly an inspiration in in any time of strife and conflict, and I'm so grateful to have him here today. Frank, welcome to the show.
2: Good morning, and thank you, and uh, Shabbat Shalom to all your listeners. I'm um, uh, sorry if you while I'm talking, just so you guys know, there will be a train that goes by every once in a while, and it'll beep the horn. Uh, my boat is docked right by like a uh, train yard, so anyway, um, just so we'll I'll the take that
0: as whatever is getting spoken about at the time. It's it's the the universe's way of underscoring how important it is.
2: Absolutely, that's my explanation point on everything. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, oh, Frank, your story is so amazing. Thank you. And it 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 gives me great hope for our world because there's a lot of hatred in our world. Um, tell us a little bit about your upbringing and why you were in that realm of being immersed in hatred and and then being violent and and, and hating others.
2: You know, um, so I grew up with uh, one of those stories. You know, a single mother, South Philadelphia. My um, she was an Irish girl, and my dad was an Italian guy who never I never really got to see much. Um, he, my mom met. You know, my dad was like kind of the bad boy, Rocky Balboa drug dealer guy in the 1970s. My mom liked the bad boy, and that's how I came to be. And so. Um, I moved with my mom i stayed with my mom and, and we struggled we were on welfare i remember being embarrassed a little as a child even like my mom would send me to a store with food stamps and i was really embarrassed to that type of stuff you know we yeah. pulling out food stamps in front of everyone in your neighborhood because your corner delis in south philly know everything so they would see me pull out food stamps the hottest girl in my neighborhood would walk in right when i'm pulling out food stamps and you can't pull out food stamps in front of the hot girls you know so yeah um so just kind of always, uh, but I knew that me and my it was just me and my mom, and, uh, and I, I was proud of, from what I remember, you know, growing up like that, I remember not being embarrassed of her, but just being embarrassed of our situation. And, um, but I was okay with it. And I knew other friends in my neighborhood were also on welfare, and they also tried to hide it, you know, um, uh-huh. uh, good. Uh, so, um, so anyway, my mom gets remarried to a guy when I'm about eight or nine, and he is just an absolute bully in my home i mean i was mm-hmm. literally i i mean it, from eight until 13 every day i would walk have to walk home from school and get ready to be bullied at any anything mm-hmm. i said anything i did anything i if i shut the door too hard I, you know i was a, you know whatever so um uh it got physical i eventually had to move with my real dad my real dad was up in southwest west philly some of you might have heard of west philly because there's was on on the playground where I spent most of my days chilling out, Max and relaxing. Chilling. So, you know, that's where Fresh Prince grew up. But he moved to Bel Air. Right. Well, I, I moved into that same neighborhood. He moved out of in that show. Like, I mean, right around that same time, this dude moving out. And I moved into that neighborhood. And I had to right. go to a black school. I, um, a lot of, a lot of things. Um, so I was going home. My parents didn't give a rat's butt about me. I can come home with a black eye. It just, my parents didn't ask me how's like house things. You know, they, I went to a tougher that's school. My, what's up?
0: No, No. I just said, wow, that, that, that you came home with a black eye and they wouldn't even ask about it. No,
2: no. And it's just not my parents' parenting style. You know, I was kind of this mistake between these two drug addicts and drug dealers and whatever, and that's it. So, um, that summer I got to get out of school. I I stopped going to school altogether. I cut every day for like the last two months of school, Philadelphia school Mm -hmm. district was so bad. They still graduated me. You know, I missed 40 something days of school in the last semester and they were like, whatever. Right. So, um, My dad says I can do whatever I want for the summer. And that summer I went to get out of the city and I had a cousin who lived in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, Uh uh, who were originally from South Philly or my mom's side of the family, but uh, they moved my cousins out of South Philly up to the farms, like truly up to like Amish people. Like it was mostly all Amish people where they lived. And these people were like horse and buggies and, and they really turned butter. Like they didn't do that to reenactment. You know what I mean? It wasn't a reenactment for me. Like they really turned butter, you know? And it was Uh key. They, chickens and pigs and a thousand kids and they all do work and it was like just national geographic stuff to me but my cousin who was up there was um he was a skateboarder punk rocker i was a skateboarder punk rocker i couldn't go up there to couldn't wait to get up there to go hang out with him for the summer and go skateboard and do whatever and get into ventures and when i went up there he was involved in this stuff and he had like newspaper articles about skinheads and neo-Nazis and picture of Hitler on his wall and, you know, Confederate flags. And, and I remember walking in his room and just knowing that this was kind of different. And then my cousin came home and he wasn't a skater anymore. He was shaved bald and he had nice pants on. He, you know, he looked different. And then he started telling me about how he's for the white race and that this is all about the white race. And every night, all these other skinheads and neo-Nazis would come over my cousin's house. My aunt kind of like let up a little bit they thought that since my cousin was rebelling since he moved out of the city and this is one of the ways he's rebelling they were just kind of letting them hands off and hopefully just get through some phases right but now i come up there you know i'm spiritually sick spiritually broken and um i would go hang out with all these older neo-nazis and they would all talk about like drinking you know they'd be drinking and i would drink with them and they would talk about girls and then they start talking about black people and i noticed they didn't know what the hell they were talking about my cousin would say to me and say to them in front of me, to all these big, bad neo-Nazis, he'd be like, you don't understand. I'm a little 14-year-old kid. And they'd be like, you don't understand. My cousin lives in one of the worst neighborhoods in Philly. And, and they'd be like, really? And then they would ask me about it all the time. What's it like? And do you really take the bus with black people every day? You know? And I'm like, yeah, I have to take the L train to school through West Philly. I yes, I, I take the bus with black people every day. And um, they couldn't fathom that. Just as a, I couldn't fathom if I sat them down and wouldn't be like, so you're going to tell me you see Amish people every day? Like, get out of here, right? It's a perspective uh, of living. Sure. But then guys asking me about my life or asking me about that stuff, was someone asking me about my life? Because no one was asking me. My parents, my teachers, nobody said, are you okay, Frank? When these guys were like, hey, what's it like to go to school with Black people? That was someone saying, how's your day? How's your life? Yeah,
0: right, caring.
2: And, yeah. So I unloaded and I would talk with them. And I, and of course, of course I enjoyed being around them. They made me feel like I mattered. Mm. that My life mattered for the first time. People listened to me. And so eventually we went to this concert hall. All these neo-Nazis were there. I didn't know a lot of them because I only knew my cousin and his friends, but they were all friends with all them guys. And they were fighting all night long with everybody else in the club and everyone was scared of them. And I, we were outside and everyone was walking out at the end of the night and everyone feared us. And now I'm 14 years old, sitting next to these big farm boys. Um, mind you, they're not Amish skinheads. I said Amish people, I just want everyone to make sure that there is no Amish neo-Nazis. They're you know, very loving. So just want to make sure you, I, you don't think I'm standing next to Amish neo-Nazis because they're just white boys that live in that Amish area. And I'm right. standing with these farm boys and um, people were feared them. And I seen it in their eyes as they walked by or sort stayed away from us. And I'm going to tell you, as a 14-year-old athletic kid that I was, I love that. Really deep down inside, I'm, I am I stopped growing when my stepfather moved in. I stopped emotionally growing the day he moved in my home. And so I'm really just a scared seven, eight-year-old little boy in that body. And mm-hmm. um, And when people feared me, I loved it because I had so much fear inside myself. I feared oh, okay. my parents. Mm-hmm. I feared my step-parents. I feared my school. I feared if I was going to have enough food to eat today. And now mm-hmm. somebody can fear me. I loved it. Yeah. So that was the night they asked but- me to join. And I joined
0: So it sounds to me like you didn't have a tribe for the longest time, and finally you found a tribe, Mm -hmm. and you've also felt respect, fear and respect from others, um, and that somebody cared about you. And and it's totally understandable, you know, Mm -hmm. and yet the direction that you went from there is um, a little little, uh, dark, very dark. So tell us a little bit about, as a skinhead, as a member of that tribe, what sorts of things you did?
2: Okay, Um, you know, um, of course, uh, you know, besides the kidnapping, um, which was a beating and a torturing and a firearm was involved and um, uh, uh, other than stuff that's court records, I I don't tell people like the violence that I did to people or that was really so much, uh, even in the neo-Nazi movement, it was done to me by you know left-wing groups and we're constantly fighting so because i don't want that violence to ever sound cool i was a coward for putting my hands on people in anger it, it was if i'm not in a hockey rink or a boxing ring or i have no right to put my hands on somebody another child of god but at that time that felt really good when i used to hit people i used to think of my stepfather you know i used to think of him all the time um so I, in the movement i just got very active i would go to bible studies and i would learn, learn that eve um you know we, now, i was born and raised irish catholic so when i would um you know everyone in my neighborhood was irish catholic you have to, to live in my neighborhood you have to make your sacraments it's like a gang offering like you have to do that what so every family does right so i i went to catechism i you know would go to church on christmas and easter or, and grab mass cards and lie and say you know what all the bad boys did but I went to catechism. I went to church. My life was robbed around that part, too, with my grandparents. And it is just what it is. But um, when I would go up to these Bible studies, and these men would talk about how Eve, now the serpent comes to Eve. We all know the story. Serpent comes to Eve, tricks her to eat the fruit. She then tricks the dude. Now, because of the chick, we're all in trouble, right? They kind of throw Eve under the bus, really. But that's the story. That's the story we all know. And they would say, that's not the real story. The real story is that the serpent man, Came to Eve, and he got her to have the forbidden fruit. He got to have sex with her, and he impregnates her with Cain. And Cain, so then she runs back to Adam and says, "Do this with me too." Now, you know that's the sin. Now she goes back to Adam and basically says that Cain is his. That's why she has sex with him. Say that this is their story. That okay. she has sex with, she has sex with Adam so that she can make sure that he thinks Cain is his and not the devil. So right off the bat, we got a Mori Povich episode in the Bible. First one. <laughs> who is yeah. the dad of this thing so right. anyway cain eventually kills abel and cain is the first evil jealous jew on the planet and that's how the jewish race starts okay it's from cain uh, okay. and then cain and so um when i would hear this i would be like what i've never father Watson and sister mary agnes never taught me this out of the Bible. <laughs> i'd never heard this at mass before right why am i getting to know right. this now and they would take was well, god chose you to know it you are a soldier for God now. Your uh, Job, uh, ruined Sodom and Gomorrah, and America, Sodom and Gomorrah. And God has chosen you to be one of His rightful, right, you know, self-righteous angels. And they they wouldn't say it that way, but that's what I, it is. Sure. Self righteousness right? Uh-huh. But I, I I love that. Like so, you're taking a welfare kid and you're telling me that I I can have a gun now, and they would give me guns and shoot targets, and we, and tell me that God has got me, like okay like i was just starving a year ago okay i'm down for it. and it's the same rhetoric and same tactics that are used to in get uh, jihadist kids i mean it's the same tactic mm-hmm. um uh so anyway i get into the movement i start preaching all the time i'm I, i'm a very good at like getting people into i've always been that type of person like just I was, you know just whatever and so um I made the movement very popular in Philly and Pennsylvania, and it got really big and I wasn't living home anymore. I was just living with the movement. My parents didn't want me. I stopped going to school. I never even went to high school in my whole life. I mean, I did for a minute and got arrested with a gun at school like my first week of school, and I never went back. So um, this whole movement, it provides everything in my life. It's my security. It's my blanket. And I will do anything for it. I want people to understand this. There's people like me. I'm an egomaniac with no self-esteem. I am a potential and I would have been a Timothy McVeigh. I mean, I was already at 17 kidnapping people for the movement. So I'm radicalized as radicalized can get. Right. Uh, I went to prison for kidnapping an Antifa member, which is crazy mm-hmm. enough. So, I mean, I know a lot about the Antifa movement and I wanna put this out mm-hmm. to some of your listeners who might be scared or intimate. Uh, you could call them Antifa or Antifa. I just call them heroes because they've been standing in the buffer between the neo-Nazi movements and the American population for a long time, their movements of the really? anti-fascist movement have really kept a lot of those groups at bay until they got injected with the orange man steroids. And then those Proud Boys and all the groups that Antifa has been keeping at bay have kind of got overwhelmed a little bit. So so people that don't know about Antifa, they do a lot of good. You only heard about the riots through the police. So, so Antifa That's does a it. lot
0: yeah i have never heard that before that is gotcha. really, interesting. That's antifa, really
2: interesting antifa is the biggest pain in the butt to the neo-nazi movement in america is the antifa movement that's why they're always chanting f antifa f antifa all the rallies because antifa uh-huh. does their job they might be meddling little kids they're not little kids meddling kids because there are a lot of young people in that movement Uh They know what they're doing and they know how to dox people. They know how to, you know, identify neo-Nazis. They also help identify neo-Nazi cops, which we can get into our topic later on, is a huge problem in America. So um, anyway. um, And and we'll
0: get into that in the second half hour. But okay, so you ended up getting arrested for kidnapping and some other things Mm -hmm. and you were convicted and you went to jail. Yes. Tell us a little bit about your experience in jail and how did it shift you?
2: So, you know, I went to prison, um, I was 17 years old. They're charging me as an adult this time in the state of Illinois, they were not, they were done playing with me, right? There was no more juvenile. When you're holding guns and kidnapping people, they're not playing with you no more. And, I, and they have every right to, right? I, I right. still question sometimes juvenile to adult, but whatever it happened, God, that's what God made happen. So I got charged as an adult. I'm in the Sangamon County Jail, which is a huge county jail. It's the capital of Illinois, Springfield. So it's a huge county jail. And I was in the hole because of my age, not because I'm a tough guy or a bad dude. They were worried because I was 17 years old. I was a neo-Nazi, had a a very popular TV show on at the time. Not very popular, but it was known about and people wrote about it and it was a big thing. And uh, so they were afraid I was gonna be a target. So for four months, I sat in the hole. And I'll tell you that that is not- What is the
0: hole? So tell us what the hole is.
2: The hole is segregation where they lock you in a cell for at the time they didn't have, right now they have a rule 23 and me there's a train 23 and me i mean 23 and me <laughs> they have 23 and one which meant every inmate is allowed out of their cell for one hour a day at the time they didn't make that law yet so they still just lock people in their cells and they only took you out of yourself you need the shower uh use the phone or if you had a visit right and that was it It left you in your cell and i was in that cell bar for four months um i started reading a lot of religious stuff um i, I i'm Crazy. I mean, just saying so you know, I'm 17 years old, I'm an egomaniac with no self-esteem, and I'm an insane alcoholic too. But anyway, I'm praying to God. So I start reading all these religious books while I'm in there. Now, this is uh-huh. the same cell block where people would flood their cell with their own feces and people would change because uh-huh. it's the crazy cell. It's where they put all the, the people that can't uh-huh. act right. And I'm just in there for what they say is my own protection. Whatever, it's fine. But um uh-huh. after four months, I'm talking to myself and everyone else is in that cell block. You start talking to yourself, it's real, it really uh-huh. happens. And but then I started reading a lot of the religious stuff. Let me get to that. So I read the whole book of Mormons. I read the whole book of Mormons. Um I, I read parts of the Quran and um and got it. It was the English translations and, and was like, oh, okay, yeah, cool. Started reading the Bible again. And now I, I told you I've just been transformed to hate through the Bible. And I just remember I would hold the Bible shut and I would say, Yo God, and I would have the binder at the bottom and the pages were up here and I said, yo God, whatever's in this book you want me to find it, let me find it. I throw my book on the bed and whatever page it opened to, I would read, right? Uh But really, I'm always praying to God like, yo God, get me out of this trouble. You know, like I'll be good tomorrow if you get me out of this. That's all I'm saying to him all the time. (laughs) Um, I'm doing everything because the reason why so many people find God in prison is because most of them have public defenders. And if you have a public defender, you need God. Trust me on that. So, um,
0: I'm, I'm laughing. Sorry. I'm sure it's not funny at all, but I, I it's that's that is a funny statement and um sad that if it, if it's true. And
2: every and every public public defender that just heard a statement or I'll go, oh <laughs> so I'm sorry, and I love you and thank you for defending us, the people. All right. So um so anyway, I start reading this part about fasting. And this is this is a very important part of my story. This is something that I want you to take take with you. Um so, I start to fast. I read this part in the Bible about fasting, and it says that you cannot brag or boast that you're fasting for God. It's like being the, the jerk on the street corner screaming out prayers. Like, that's your reward. Your reward is that people see you screaming prayers. If you go around and tell everyone you're fasting because God's your boy, then that's all you're going to get out of it is that people see you. Oh, you're real cool with God. That's great. Sure. But it's it's real, like
0: an ego based kind of right. um, reason. Yeah.
2: Yep. So, so, keep it to yourself, right? So I plan on doing that. This is like right, right before my trial. So I'm really praying to God to please, I'm saying, God, I know I'm going to jail because they have me on videotape of me kidnapping a guy. I know I'm not getting out of this. And mm-hmm. so I was like, please, God, I'm going to fast for three days. I want you to kill all the guards. I want you to pop down my door and I want you to knock down that wall and let me go home tonight. If you're real, you'll do that, God. Right. So, <laughs> I, I, you know, you I, right. I got, I got to put a test. So, I, for three days, all right, I'm fasting. And in that cell block is the one where they open up the little latch and they slide your food through to you, right, because you're in a single mm-hmm. cell. So, And I would slide the food back out because if I knew the food was in my cell, I was probably going to eat it. And that's, I was so hungry. all the time. Even when I ate, you're always so hungry. So uh-huh. I, I was so hungry, I kept pushing the food back out. And they would always say, are you refusing to eat? Right. And they're not going to, they're not, they're prison guards. So they're not going to be like, when I say yes, they're not going to say, oh my God, Frank, why would you, you should eat, you need nutrients. Like they're just like, okay, you don't want to eat. And they take your tray and give it to somebody else. Right. Yep. So they start asking me, why are you not eating? So I can't tell them. Right. So I'm just like, mm-hmm. well, be prepared. There's some stuff going down on Monday. So you might want to say your goodbyes, you know, but I'm not, such, you know, like stuff's going down on Monday. So you better be ready. But I was just like, nothing, I'm not eating. And finally the warden comes in. And he's like this guy that ran the county jail on Sunday. It was after I didn't eat my last meal that I had already promised to made my mitzvah with God that I would not eat up until Sunday or after Sunday. So it was Sunday dinner came. I said, no, push the food out. My door pops open. It's like the warden guy. And he thinks that I'm on a hunger strike. He thinks I might be trying to harm myself because my case uh-huh. is a high profile case the kidnapping, the TV show. So he's like, what are you doing? And he's like, are you trying to harm yourself? And, and instantly I was like, no. And he said well why are you not eating and i said can't tell you (laughs) right and he goes like this okay mr mink um i'll I'll cut you a deal he said if you eat tomorrow i don't know what you got going on but if you eat tomorrow i will let you out of the cell box and put you in general population i think you can handle yourself you'll be all right and i I was already planned on eating on that monday so i said okay like sure for him so let me tell you this is what happened Monday morning, I'm eating as I'm eating. He comes and gets me. I pack up all my stuff. I'm on a roll a basket with my bed and my uh, mattress, you know, my jelly roll and all that. And in this moment, this overwhelming sense of being came over me. I, I and it just said, I'm not going to give you what you want. I'll give you what you need and I'll get you out of the cell block. Wow. And that was my moment to this day, to this day, that wasn't what changed me as a neo-nazi but it started this because i'm going to tell you from from that day on there's never been a question in my in my whole being that i know that he is real i know it that's, we're a fact so from amazing. that from that day on i meet g this black kid in the cell block on the, the general, who you know yeah. now when i w- w- went and looked back over my life i'm like wow like he did start to change me then when i begged him and fa- and begged him yeah all right i'm not gonna i'm not gonna let you be the king Mm -mm. Uh neo-nazi i'm gonna let you be my servant though hold on and so i go through prison i'm cool with black kids but i still am a neo-nazi just want everyone to get this straight like you don't go through prison being a celebrity neo-nazi and get out of the movement like that and i didn't feel i was getting out of the movement i just thought that i was dealing with black kids because all my bikers friends and aryan gang members were all bikers from southern and central illinois Okay. All the black kids from Chicago grew up in cities like I did, so whenever there was a chance to sit around with G, because G was in my county jail with me, then he got sent up state, and I ran back in. So me and G knew each other real well. We used to cheat playing cards and spades all the time, like. Uh-huh. Um, so, so when I get, you know, I'm I'm kind of cool with everyone in prison, but I I, I I play football and I stick with the black kids because the white dudes weren't good. Just being honest, there were a bunch of bikers who didn't know how to play football. I was a uh-huh. football. So some of the black kids would just on neutral days in the in the prison yard. We're like, "Oh, we got a ball game," and eventually they let me play. And eventually, I'm not trying to be a braggadocious, but I'm I'm a really good baller, like okay. oh, really good. Baller. I'm I'm athletically built to jump like a, a gazelle. I mean, really, okay. uh, unbelievably fast. And so uh, playing sports always my thing. And so coming friends with those guys just playing sports, talking about girls, because you can't talk to the older inmates about girls because they're going to tell you your girl is cheating on you while you're in there. But when I would talk to the younger inmates who have we get done, they would tell you that because they're going to break your will. They don't want you all in there, all young, you know, older inmates, see a young inmate getting out in a year, always talking about his girlfriend, waiting till he gets out. You're going to real, real quick when they're doing 15 to life. They don't want to hear all that. They're going to be like, you know what? Your girls, you remember your best friend? Yeah, your girls with her right now. Get over it. Yeah. Like, oh, oh, they do it all the time. And it's just it's hilarious. so um, I have a daughter while I was in prison. And uh, the first two people I told, and this is I was still a neo-Nazi. I, I, it's crazy as, as it sounds. The first two men I told, which was at the same time, were two black kids from my football team that my daughter was born in prison.
0: Uh-huh.
2: And I didn't even think, I never put that all together until years later where I'm like, wow, you know what? The first people I told the greatest moment in my life to were two black kids I played football with, G and
0: John. Uh-huh.
2: Or G, 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 and, G and Tony, sorry. G and Tony.
0: So. We're going to go to a quick break, but when we return, um, I want to hear more about this transition because you're in a very different, not only state of mind, but a very different mission now, and um, it's a fascinating story. But stay tuned, everybody, for more with Frank Mink here in just
1: a few moments. This is Peggy Snow, practitioner at Stellar Reflections with a Stellar Reflections Minute. So many people these days are trying to find ways to relieve their stress. What happens to our breathing when we're feeling overwhelmed and stress? When we tune in, we realize that we're either holding our breath or taking very shallow breath. To signal the body that all is well, which most of the time it is, sometimes all that is needed is a nice deep breath to break the cycle. First exhale to get all the stale air out by engaging the abdominal muscles and blowing gently. Next, take a nice full breath in, feeling it fill your body all the way down to your hips. Release fully and enjoy the freedom of movement. Notice how your body feels. Do you feel refreshed? Calmness is only a breath away. This has been a Stellar Reflections Minute. For more information about what we offer at Stellar Reflections, visit us at StellarReflections.com or call 425-999-9836. That's 425-999-9836. When you lose a child, you find yourself part of a club that you never chose to join. There is a way to find meaning and joy in your life again. Jen Repa has created a six-week sacred grief system, helping you let go of grief, heal with compassion, and understand what's available to you in the rest of your life. It can feel scary acknowledging that a part of you wants to move forward because you're not sure how to do it in a way that honors your child. The good news is that when you allow yourself to address your grief in a multi-sensory way, you can transition from sadness, regret, and hopelessness into a life that gives you peace, joy, and meaning. Jennifer understands with deep compassion how you're feeling because she's been there. For more information about the Sacred Grief course, visit thriveology.com. That's T H R I V O L O G I E.com. The vibration of change
0: Welcome back to the Christine Epchurch Show here on KKNW, TransformationTalkRadio.com, and of course, Facebook Live. Uh, I'm talking today about former neo-Nazi skinhead, Frank Mink. He is now a leader in the peace movement. It is an amazing story. So Frank, you were talking about your experience in prison before the break and about how you were um, connecting with these young black kids who were also in jail. You were playing football with them. You told two of them about the birth of your daughter. Uh, tell us a little bit more about your transition because you weren't planning on you know, leaving the movement and yet somehow you managed to do that. Tell us a little bit more about that.
2: Yeah, so um, I got out of uh, when I'm getting out of prison, i trying to rejoin my friends and rejoin my crew. I go back to Philly and, and my crew is pretty big there and uh, the crew. And um, when I came back, my cousin, my other cousin, so now we have I have other cousins involved in this stuff too. Um, he was kind of running it. And when I came back, I kind of, you know, he kind of gave me the reins because I got him into it and I got people in that crew into it.
0: Mm-hmm. I,
2: I don't mean some ego, it sounds very egotistical, but I'm just being honest. Oh,
0: that's the truth, truth.
2: So I come back and I uh, start kind of just taking over the show again in Philly. And um, when you have a big swastika tattooed on your neck, and which I had and skinhead written on my knuckles and tattoos, which I still have to this day on top of my head. I have a big tattoo up here that says made in Philly. It's a cool tattoo, I wish I could show it. It's true, it's for my parents
1: uh-huh, deal, nice. So,
2: All right, all right. Um, so, um, but when you're trying to look for a job and you have a swastika on your neck and you have an aggravated kidnapping on your record as an adult already at 17, now I'm 19, I get released from prison. Um, uh-huh. These are not good people skills. Right. H.R. isn't like, oh, swastika on the neck. Definitely hire that guy. Right. So, no, I'm not, Nothing's working. And uh, a buddy of mine said he was actually a neo-Nazi. Uh, he said that he had to get me a job working for a weekend just carrying out antique furniture for his boss right. at, at an antique show in Cherry Hill, New Jersey mall. And I was like, OK, 100 bucks a day. I hadn't had any work. And the guy goes, yeah, you'll make really good money. So I, I he, after I say, yes, I'll do it. He goes, well, I got to tell you, my boss is a Jew. Like, mm-hmm. like he's a Jew. Right. And uh-huh. I, I said to him, I go, well, I don't, I said, look, I don't care. I, I just need to work. I said, you know, I don't have to talk to this dude, do I? And he goes, no, I told Keith Brookstein all about you. And he said, he doesn't give a rats, but what you believe just don't break his furniture. Oh, wow. I, showed up. I showed up and uh, I worked for that weekend and worked three days, a hundred bucks a day. Plus I made $200 a day each in tips. Cause whenever you bring furniture out after the people buy it, you put it in their car They give you money. Right. So I'm making right. m- mad money. I'm like, you know, a thousand dollars, you know, like $600 or whatever in tips. So the end of the time comes and, and, you know, here goes something just to remind everybody, I wrote a book called the autobiography of recovering skinhead. Now I'll mm-hmm. never go back to being a skinhead or ever back to a racist ever again. That's been removed from my life, but I still okay. will relapse in ego. And fears and mm. you know delusional thinking sometimes um sure. resentments right those are all recurring things that still come in my life and they come in your life they come in
0: absolutely life. part of being human you know right
2: so i had this thing with keith and here's another thing that a lot of us do where we'll really there's someone at your work or your school that bothers you and just every day they always wear tony romo dallas cowboy shirts and they suck and he didn't even on a team anymore but you want to say something every day and you don't <laughs> And then they always bring up stupid stuff. And you're like, you know what, Rodney, man, you know what, you leave work one day. And you're like, you know what, tomorrow, if Rodney comes in with that jersey on again and he talks about the same dumb stuff, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this to him. And I know he's going to say this. And I'm going to come back at him because I hate the way he does this. You know, And you have a whole argument. You drive home. You think about Rodney. You're eating, thinking about Rodney. You wake up. Right. And you're like Thinking about Rodney, you drive the you drive the school or work the next day thinking about Rodney, and then you get to work or school and you see Rodney. and He's wearing that jersey, and you're like, "What's up, Rodney?" And they're like, "No, what's up, Frank?" And you're just like, "No, man, it's all good." But for all day, I let him, I let him eat my lunch.
1: Right, so, right. Human
2: beings, we we like that sometimes. We like batting the resentment ball like a like ball of yarn. Uh-huh. We love it. Yeah. Right, right. Let me get self righteous on all y'all, right, real quick, mm-hmm. and that's what it, that it comes to. Um, yeah. so, so anyway, um, I, I'm, I go up to this, this Jewish man, owes me $300. And I'll never forget this. He came up and he's like, Hey, I owe you money. Now I didn't tell you this. And, and let me tell this story real quick. I gotta go back just for a minute. When I was a kid, I used to hear things like, don't Jew me. Um, Johnny Jewed me today. Or how do you start a Jewish parade? They roll a penny down the street. When I was a little child, I heard them jokes. I never got the joke. I asked my uncle probably when I was about ten or eleven about that joke because he said he went to the store. John tried to Jew him. Everyone laughed and said Johnny always tries to Jew people. I said to them, "What's that? Why is that so funny?" My uncle goes to explain to me and says, "Well, uh, when the Jews are just notorious for money and he's like, and there's a whole he's like, you know what? He stopped himself. He goes, you know what, Frank? You'll get the joke when you're older. I want to tell everyone my first neo-Nazi joke. My first neo-Nazi meeting." I'm sitting there and they start talking about how the Jews secretly run the Federal Reserve Uh and they siphon money off to start World War III, right? Um, That's what they're telling me. In that meeting, it unlocked the joke. Uh, 14 years old, it unlocked my uncle's joke for me. Uh I must know what the adults know, okay? So a lot of my neo-Nazism days was very much spent against Jews. That's all okay. we talked about. And, and, and here's the great thing. Now that I converted to Judaism and I found out my last name is Jewish and I have some Askenazi in me, um, what's great is I can tell people the truth now. Mm. I know hundreds, I, I, my, my, I, I date a woman from Israel. I mean, I, I'm immersed in Judaism. Um, I could tell you that they think six old Jewish men run the world. You can't get six old Jewish men to decide on where to eat lunch. Let alone how help them run the <laughs> world. Right. And so, and, and we know, right. We're just human beings trying to make it on this planet. That's right. it. We're not trying to, I mean, I, I got it. So anyway, so you, had
0: um, Jewish, you
1: had the Jewish boss who. Yeah, so so
2: yes, yeah, yeah. So, so my Jewish boss, and i sorry, I went off on a t- tangent there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this Jewish boss, I, I he, he comes over to me and I'm waiting to argue with him and he says, how much money do I owe you? And I'm waiting for him to try to Jew me. And I said, you owe me $300. And he goes, uh-huh. oh, that's right. And he pulls out this wad of money. And he says, here's one, two, here's 300. He says, here's an extra 100 bucks. You're a really good worker. Mm-hmm. So now I have like a $1,000. So he mm-hmm. says, hey, do you need a ride back to South Philly from Cherry Hill, New Jersey? Do you need a ride? I'm, I have to go that way. Anyway, I will drop, I can stop in, drop you off. I used to live around where you, because I told him where I lived. He's like, oh, I used to be Jewish. And I, it was funny, as I remember... Uh, an old synagogue now when he started to tell me he's like yeah I used to be Jewish I used to be me and my father's synagogue now I moved to the northeast Philly and but he was like that was the 60s and the 50s or you know early 50s since when we moved away um, and since then it's been Irish ever since full Irish um, anyway when he's dropped me off in that neighborhood he says uh, what do you do for a living and I pointed to this swastik on my neck because I'm a passenger in a truck so he could see it I'm pointing to that thing and I just said I do nothing man and he goes, well, why don't you come work for me? And I went and I worked for this Jewish man. And my other neo-Nazi friend worked with him too. But he made me like a guy who always worked with him. Like there was a whole bunch of people that he had owned a nice business. He had a great business. Storefronts and refinishing spots. And 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 I would drive a lot with him in trucks to go pick up furniture and go pick up things. I was kind of the utility guy around there. And and we used to always talk and we used to read about the O.J. Simpson trial. because We were driving a truck all day through New Jersey. And trust me, New Jersey Garden State, my butt. It's the, turn, it's the turn state pipe. You know, it's turnpike I was turn I state.
0: used to live in Jersey. I know all about that. Yeah. 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 I lived
2: in South Jersey. So Philly, I lived in South Jersey. So yeah, I I'm, I'm, love it, but don't love it. Um, anyway, we would drive and uh, and we just talk about the OJ Simpson trial and all the stuff in life. And and we just have these great conversations. And I'm still a neo-Nazi. Like I showed up every day with a swastika. I showed up every day with my boots on and just did my work and kind of really enjoyed this time. But I'll tell you, being an egomaniac with no self-esteem, which is what all haters are, is, um, and, and all thugs and gangsters, it's all the same, no, you know, egomaniacs with no self-esteem, uh, are very dangerous. So I used to always say, I'm stupid all the time. I say, I'm so stupid. And one day Keith just, I guess, got sick of it. And I didn't even know I said it that all the time, but he just gripped me by the back of my neck and said, stop saying you're stupid, you effing idiot. Let's go. And we got in this truck and he just unloaded on me. And he's just like, you're so smart. I hate when you say you're stupid. I didn't even know I noticed I say it that much. I noticed I said it, but he's like, like, you know, he just says, I think you're one of the most smartest people I've ever met. And so when you say you're dumb, that makes me question how smart I am. And then he turned to me and said, the thing that got me that stuck with me to this day, he said, Frank, dumb people can, he goes, smart people can fake being dumb, but dumb people can't fake being smart. He just are. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh-huh.
2: He dropped me off that day, uh-huh. and he gave me my money, which I didn't think he was going to, because I broke a marble top table. That's why I felt so stupid. And he still gave me my whole pay and said, "I'll see you on Monday." And I just looked into this man; always kind. Uh-huh. And he wasn't really, and he was not religious or Jewish at all. He's very secular. But he was, uh-huh. he always said, "Oh, we may. Oh, you, what do you do to my furniture, right?" So, Upper East Coast, and
1: yeah,
2: love this man. And so that was my final day. Like I had already stopped preaching against Black people, and Latino people, because of my prison experience. Like I just stopped, kind of even going there with people. And then when I was at meetings and rallies, and I heard people say things, I always thought, "Man, that's really stupid. That's not true." But then I would think also about why we hear these young neo Nazis saying things that they thought were so brilliant, and I think they're so stupid. I used to think, I used to say that, and think it was brilliant too. Yeah, yeah. Like I'm so, being my. So I just got out. It's my day. My time. So God told me.
0: What What is your mission now?
2: My mission now is police reform, so I can guarantee all of your listeners, I can, I will bet any of you right now that I can guarantee there's more than five people that I know that were neo-Nazis who all became police officers, and there's many, many more, and we're now und- discovering this, and I always knew it, but now it's been coming. That's why I testified in front of Congress uh, in August about... There's this infiltration of, they're not even infiltrating. They just want the police job because they like that arresting officers can beat the crap out of Black people. They're attracted to that job for that reason. Let's call it for Mm. what it is. Mm. So
1: Mm.
2: my drive in life today is that we move forward with real police reform. We cannot trust who is pulling us out of our cars and searching our cars anymore. It's done. So no more searching our cars in America. No more bringing dogs around our cars. No more waiting for Black people to cut through your suburban neighborhood so they can hurry up and pull them over and search their cars and make sure all the residents see, hey, we pull over Black people around here. Make sure you know they're not welcome. Right. This is America. We, um, white America for too long climbed into the life raft of America and we pulled the ladders out of the water. So nobody else can get in. And that's the suburbs. And that's what the police protect. And it is time. It, this is this time in our life. And for everyone, that says Black Lives Matters is a terrorist or a radical, we are a civil, it's a civil rights movement to stop civil servants from killing unarmed black people and unarmed Americans, period. That's what Black Lives Matter is about. It's about civil servants who have lost their servant heart towards us and we need to fix it. No more searching cars, no more bringing dogs around us, no more breaking our fourth amendment. It's a fourth amendment issue anyway that they broke. Their lobbyists and unions have broken the system. And just to point out one more fact, this is a fact. The reason that they, with them breaking our fourth amendment the way they have, searching our cars and searching our, and just grabbing us and doing whatever they want, has built the mass incarceration system. That is, that's the correlation yeah. we fix this, we slow down that mass incarceration. There are almost two in the next year and a half, two years, we will have two point seven million children of God locked up in this country. We will have oh. we will have one and a half out of three women locked up in the world are locked up in America. It's already one point three. Now it'll be one point five out of three who are locked up in America. The land of the free, home of the brave, such a super state, you know. No. We're mistreating children of God. The system is mistreating children of God and we're allowing it to happen and not no more.
0: So what I'm hearing you say is that um, there are, you know, there are two sides to this in terms of, there are the the criminals who hate um, and hate certain races and commit crimes. And there are police officers who are supposed to serve and protect. And there are a portion of them who are also hating certain races and 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 harming them, and then ultimately the the whole system, you know, creates this incarceration issue. Um, it all begins with the hatred. So fear.
2: How all do with we fear. heal that? Okay, it all so begins f- with fear. That's it. Okay. Mm-hmm.
0: So and, how do we heal that? How, how Frank? How do we heal the fear?
2: Um. You know, and I know that people think first off, we always have God with us. God is just so everyone, God is nothing but love. He is not hatred, he is not judgmental of us, he just loves us. And he loves all of us. And I come to know that how much God loves me, even though I've broken every commandment, I know that God still loves me and can use me. And that we need to get that message to everyone. This planet is about being of service to others of God's children. That's what we're here for. And when you live that life, I promise you, your life will get better. You won't worry about why do black people got BET if we don't have white entertainment television, not knowing that all television is white entertainment television. And because they have one channel, you wake up in the morning and you hate them. And this is true. People really do wake up and go, they got BET. Why do they have the Negro college fund? We don't have the white college fund. And we do have the white colleges funds everywhere. There are are, um, uh, grants and money and uh, scholarships to go to Irish kids in my neighborhood, right? They don't go and say white. But they say, hey, this is for poor Irish kids, right? right. And that's okay. It's okay. No, no one's judging. So when they keep saying, we don't have the white scholarship, there is Italian-American scholarships. Yes, there are. We're just right. so sad and sick of looking at, look at what they're getting. And I want to talk to people about one more thing about neo-Nazism, about all of this. But two things. One is, I promise you this, if you can hear my voice, that Trumpism is idol worshiping. And God has warned us about that many, many times. He might not be a golden calf, but he sure is a fake bronze ass. And they have- I, I,
0: I, I think that that's an oversimplification because I know many people who don't idolize Trump, um, who saw that he was doing certain things that, that they felt were, were really important. So it's the sort of thing where just like we can't say, this tribe is bad and that tribe is good, we have to be really careful and evaluate mm-hmm. people on a personal level, because um it, it you know, it's...
2: But we're talking about I, Trumpism. We're talking about Trumpism, which okay. has just stormed so, our capital. That but, is so, idol worshipping. Absolutely idol worshipping. I promise you it's idol worshipping. At its fullest, it's anger and fear behind one fake golden bronze. Man, like, I mean, we this is biblical times, not that it's the end of the world, but we don't follow idols. And when you follow idols, it'll hurt you and ruin you. Look, Tucker Carlson's going down. The gates has got everyone that's been with that man is all crashing and burning. God will. I, we don't have to do harmful things to them. God will take care of the idol. We just sit back and be with each other and make sure that when these people get unbrainwashed, unradicalized from Fox News, that we're here to accept them. We can't say anymore that they're OK to believe that. Fox News has radicalized America. They say the same stuff I used to say. Instead of saying Jew, they say uh, media elites or Hollywood elites. They mean the same words, the same sentence. We can't say people that watch Fox News are—they're being radicalized. Absolutely. And, and, and see,
0: from the like this, this is a totally different topic. But in terms of the medical stuff, I'm a former research statistician. I used to design, analyze clinical trials, trials and medical research, and as the COVID stuff. Started, has unfolded, and I said the word, I shouldn't have said it, Um, I've come to realize that these channels, not Fox News, some of the other channels that I got news from for, you know, many years, are also manipulating and lying. And it's the kind of thing where we have to get back to local community. We have to get back to connecting with people as individuals and stop looking up and, and having faith in any system, whether it's the medical system, the political system, the, the propaganda system, the, the news system. It's, it's the kind of thing where we have to put our faith in God or universal intelligence, whatever you want to call it, and not put faith in any of these other things and recognizing that even if we have had respect for them, even we do respect them, they're flawed.
2: They are not God. All, we're all spiritually sick children of God. And every day on degrees of what spiritual sickness I'm in, or how do I? when do I know I'm having a bad day? How much self-pity am I sitting in? How much mm-hmm. self-pity am I sitting in today? That's how much I know if I'm having a bad day or a good day. And I'm going to yeah. tell you, I mean, but we have to be real about what's going on in this country. And that our, we have an issue with the radicalization of the right. And, and it's not, the MSNBC does not act like Fox News, and I'm bi-partial and watch both. It, it,
0: it, it, and I, and I, I've watched both as well, and I'm saying from the medical perspective, they are. They're very right. radicalized, very biased, and so it may be in the in, in a different realm, and I know that you're talking about um, human rights, you're talking about, well, and there's issues with medical stuff and human rights, but you're, right, right. you're talking about... Um, bigotry and, and racial bias. Um, okay, is, before we go any further.
2: That has seeped into our hardcore, into our political parties now.
0: Oh, absolutely. And, it, and,
2: and, and I want to say that. Our parties
0: are sick. Our, you right. know, I, I, as but, far as I'm considering, they're, they're, they're wings but, of the same bird.
2: But, you know. but the, I know, but, but like, again, we protest it because civil servants are killing unarmed Americans, are the unarmed children of God. They uh-huh. protest because a con man lost an election, and we can't lose that site.
0: Yeah, well, we're not gonna, we are not we do not have time to go down that rabbit hole. Okay. And I wanna make sure that people, first of all, know the, the name of your book and yes. your website before we run out of time.
2: Yes, uh, Autobiography of Recovering Skinhead. Mm-hmm. And um, you can get a hold of me on Twitter at Frank Mink or, you know, any of the social media. Twitter's probably the best, so I'll follow you back. I mean, I'm not. Okay. Uh, and your website,
0: and, your website? Uh,
2: uh, it's just, I think it's Frank Mink. Yeah, it's Frank com. So Spell someone goes that.
0: Spell your last name. Uh, Spell your last Mink
2: name. is, yeah, Mink is M-E-E-I-N-K. Okay. M-E-E-I-N-K. And, and just so you know, I want you all to keep an eye out for in the next month in Rolling Stone Magazine and a couple major newspapers, there will be some major stories breaking about the police and how we need to get real police reform on the stuff that I've been working on. So just keep an eye out for that. And, but we're all going to get through this. We are all going to get through this. Together.
0: yeah it's it's uh and i i would love to find out can you tell me really briefly why you converted
2: oh absolutely oh thank you for that question um judaism to me um is just a path like god put his hand over a mountain and he cuffed a mountain and he pulled his fingers up the top of the mountain and we're oh. all just trying to follow them past up to him and it's right? just happened to be the path that i found for the one true loving god um and I also, there's three major things that really wanted me to go to Judaism. One is the belief in a one true, loving, beautiful God. The mm-hmm. second is um, all, that we're all his children, and it's our jobs to be on this planet. We're not chosen people to be better. We're chosen to always do good for God's children. The sure. third is to always keep Shabbat. Always keep Shabbat. It's what, so what is beautiful Shabbat? to have that night. Shabbat is, uh, for, for Jews, it's Friday Friday night into Saturday, and it's our Sabbath. And, and it's where you shut down for one day, you shut down everything. And I still will watch maybe like a God documentary, but other than that, it's reading Torah, it's understanding, it's eating God, eating a meal with God, lighting candles, celebrating that you have the greatest loving creator in the planet is with you. When you light your candles mm-hmm. and do Shabbat and he's always with us. But it just, if, if I can shut my one day down and always make sure that I have that day with him, my work ethic is better on the other six because I really shut down and yeah. I really dedicate my life to, to being a child of God and being of service to all of us. And it starts with police reform. We can't have this many. Yeah, that's
0: really important. I I, I wholeheartedly agree. Okay, um, we're just about out of time. Thirty seconds or less. What's your final message?
2: Final message is it's all about empathy. It's all about finding empathy for others inside yourself, and you can only do that by having God's love in your life. Mm-hmm. I tell you this, there's love and affection. Love is what God shows us. Affection is how we filter God's love onto other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So get a and, lot of love and have a lot of affection.
0: And I want to finish with this message. Um, early, I mean in your early in your story when you're talking about being a kid, um, because you that you said you were a mistake and put mistake in quotes. Mm-hmm. Clearly you were no mistake. There's <laughs> perfection in this and what it is you're offering. So thank you, Frank.
2: Thank you. Thank you for having me on your show. And shabbat shalom, everybody.
0: Uh, And blessings to everybody. I look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks so much for tuning in today. If you'd like to empower yourself to step further into your vibration of change, please visit my website at christineupchurch.com, where you can learn more about my insights, upcoming events, and private sessions.